0: Budgeting, cash flow, and investing don't have to be scary words. The We Talk Sense podcast is here to help you learn more about money and take control of your personal finances. The We Talk Sense podcast is not a financial advisor. This podcast is made for entertainment and educational purposes only. All information shared is of a general nature and does not take into account your personal situation you should consider whether the information is appropriate for your needs and, where appropriate, seek professional advice from a financial advisor.
1: For more information, please check out weemoney.com.au slash disclaimer. Hello, you're tuned into episode 18 of We Talk Sense, a podcast presented by We Money. I'm Dan, your resident financial expert.
0: And as always, I am pleased joining you as your resident spendaholic. Now, it was Valentine's Day yesterday on February the 14th, so, we will be getting a little bit romantic and talking about money <laughs> during this episode. But for now, let's talk about the news. So, if you don't care about the news, totally fine. Skip ahead a couple of minutes and we'll get into the topics. But Dan, news headlines. This week, anything catch your eye?
1: There was there was just so much. I think this crypto revolution is absolutely taking off with uh, Papa Musk uh, taking it to <laughs> uh, Bitcoin and buying one5 lazy billion dollars worth of bitcoin uh which is really fascinating it's it's the first time a massive corporate organization has taken uh to to bitcoin and not only bought it at a very large sum but also allowing people to buy their new model threes or model s's or model y's uh with bitcoin directly which is pretty fascinating when you think about how fast this crypto revolution is coming um how about you boys what have you seen
0: well, the big, okay, this Bitcoin, I feel like it's just going to be in our new headlines every week because this is third week week running. Mr. Elon <laughs> Musk, can't get out of our headlines. But do you know what? I saw an article that, that was saying that Tesla had bought the $1.5 billion of Bitcoin and it said, and we should all do that too. Who has $1. <laughs> $1.5 billion to invest into? I was like, who is your target bucket of this? Who, is it? Who are you writing for? Because I don't have, I've barely got 20 bucks to put into Bitcoin and that wouldn't get me anything, let alone 1.5 billion. But also you mentioned how Tesla will now be accepting them as a form of payment. Apparently the new model of um, Tesla car, another little bit I learned about them was that they don't have a driving stick. So mm. instead... If you get in the car and you go to drive, the car's AI will determine what's around you and if you need to move forwards or backwards, which freaks me out.
1: That's scary and exciting all at the same time. Um, I, would, I would hate to think that some person's like 100-point parking to understand how the AI would, would, would get that. That's certainly me sometimes, but um, wow, the future is coming quick.
0: It's crazy. It's it stresses me out, but I don't I don't actually need to really worry about it because I can't afford a Tesla and I can't I don't have any Bitcoin to buy a Tesla, so I'm totally fine. Um the other the other bit I saw again about cryptocurrency was that soup soup dog. Snoop Dog <laughs> Snoop
1: Doge. Snoop Doge.
0: <laughs> yes, that's exactly it. Um you've clearly seen the same articles as I have, Dan. Snoop Doge. So Snoop Dogg got on the Doge. Dogecoin train, which is the um, the cryptocurrency that started out as a joke, which is pretty funny. And Dan, I scoured the news again, and you'll be disappointed, just as I am. Our friend Stefan Thomas, the US programmer who lost his well, he's lost his password to his crypto wallet with over three hundred million dollars of Bitcoin. Still, still no updates in the news about whether or not he's remembered his password. So, Stefan. We're still, we're still backing you. We hope, we hope you find the password. I just want to follow this story with Stefan until, until we find an answer. Poor guy.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, and I think reporting on it. This it reminds me of like a hostage situation. You know, like he tuned on the TV. It's like day 100 of a hostage situation. I kind of feel like that's with <laughs> Stefan in his own mind. So, Stefan, if you're out there listening and you want to just join us or tell us about your pain and maybe solicit some help from the community, jump on, mate. With a lot to hear from you. <laughs>
0: we could start it we could start a campaign password guesses for stefan <laughs> and everyone can put in how they come up with their passwords and maybe that will help stefan remember That's oh it. goodness anyway dan shall we shall we get a little bit romantic and start chatting about relationships and money
1: my candles a lit, blaze let's do it
0: well dan As you said, the candles are lit, and um, that's because yesterday, if you're tuning in on Monday the 15th of February 2021 when this podcast is released, means that yesterday was the very, very romantic day of Valentine's Day, which leads me to ask, Dan, relationships and money, how on earth do we do it? And this topic makes me think of, have you seen the movie The Joy Luck Club?
1: Oh, I have it, boys.
0: So, in the Joy Luck Club, um, it follows the stories of four different women, and there's one bit that I I remember watching it years and years ago, and I have such a terrible memory, but I remember this one scene where this lady's mum comes to visit her, living her with with her new partner, and up on the on, on the fridge, the shopping receipt for the groceries is up on the fridge, and everything is highlighted. And at the bottom, the new husband has split, like every, they pay for everything and she she pays for everything that's hers. So like sanitary, like feminine hygiene products, and he pays for everything that's his. And then they split everything <laughs> else. And so it's, it was very, very strict down to the dollar. And the mum gets the receipt and she doesn't like the partner. And the mum gets the receipt and looks at the receipt and sees that her daughter has been paying for ice cream, but her daughter doesn't eat ice cream. And she's Ooh. like, this isn't fair. He's so strict. <laughs> he makes me pay for everything. He earn, earns way more than you and you're still paying for his bloody ice cream. Not quite like that. It's, she, she doesn't say bloody ice cream. It's not an Australian um, film. But <laughs> <laughs> it just makes me think, how do you, how do you split things evenly? Where how, how do you start? What are the stats? Tell me what you know.
1: Well, I think I think let's we'll just start at the the initial the, the start of a relationship, right? You you go through a very sort of lovey dovey phase in the first sort of 6 months to a year and, you know, you're courting and you're sort of uncovering, you know, things about each other. And I think the money conversation comes up, but I think the money conversation actually starts well before that because all the cues about your money habits and the way you spend and the way you save, etc., are often expressed in the, probably the first couple of dates. Obviously, there's a few moments of truth about going up to the counter at the restaurant and paying for the meal and who had that awkward situation. <laughs> Who's going to pay? Is he going to pay? Am I going to pay? Are we going to split it? Are we going to have this awkward argument? Am I going to stuff cash in his face and go, no, take my money and, and try to be equal? Or is somebody going to gladly accept a very kind gesture? And I think all those little cues end up sort of uh, signaling your relationship with money individually and how that might sort of form as a couple – and you know what, strangely enough, it often comes up pretty quickly. You know, I think in the first sort of month or two, you get a good understanding and have this conversation about money uh, once you enter that uh, moment of comfort where you can be really open about your situation. So I think it actually starts incredibly early. But in terms of uh, some really good research from Relationships Australia, it leads us to uh, know that disagreements over finances is a very strong predictor of divorce than any other commonly cited causes for matter or disagreements. And roughly around 7 out of 10 people report that money causes tension within their relationships. And this is fairly obvious to sort of know. If uh, you're constantly worried about money, you're constantly stressed out between you and your partner you're arguing about that, you actually don't have a base or a platform to build a very strong and loving relationship when your mind is elsewhere thinking about money. And this is just a very, very... Uh, you know, sad reality that a lot of people uh, have to go through and wade through, uh, particularly for low-income people or received of government assistance where uh, maybe the, uh, the situation is even more dire than, say, somebody that might be employed. So it's a very, very big issue. But I think the other part and another term that I've heard used about this is, yes, we talk about money and money habits, but also as well, there's something that's called an STD buzz. And it's not what you think it is. <laughs> it's called sexually transmitted debt, which is as two people come together in a relationship, there typically comes a moment where they lift the veil and goes, ta-da, I'm in $50,000 worth of credit card debt. Or those type Yikes. of revelations, which most people, particularly the people that do have you know very dire financial situations, they might be in a position where they might feel ashamed or really not comfortable of sort of showing that fact, and may not disclose that to a, a very later part of the relationship. But it does come out, especially when you're going through things like buying a home, et cetera. What I have seen certainly, Blaze, is that more often than not, the, the forming and the union of a bond of a relationship typically leads for these things to be open and honest and transparent. And I think a guest that we've got coming up on the show would be really – be able to inform the audience about how she navigated through that with her partner, and that's uh, Aussie Debt a Girl. And I think that uh, people should be much more open about their financial situation in this era of, you know, transparency and uh, really just telling you how it is and then getting help to, you know, solve it and to solve it together as a team.
0: Dan, that makes me think there are two types of people in this world – People that when you're playing Monopoly use the edge of the board (laughs) as like a bank till and they have all their money laid out for everyone to see and then the people that are hiding money away and not letting you see how much (laughs) cash is in their bank account. So, (laughs) Dan, for those, if you haven't had the money conversation and it's something you want to bring up or you're getting serious with your partner or partners or whoever, how can you approach the conversation about money and if you haven't had the discussion early in dating, when when is a good time to have that conversation?
1: I think when it makes sense naturally in, in, in the start of a conversation. Obviously, going out on the first date and talking about um, you know how you're so bad with money and terrible may not be a good signalling effect to the start of a you know a, a, a romantic union between somebody you and somebody else. So I think I think you've got to pick your moment where it naturally makes sense to talk about it. And I think there will be those subtle cues where you start talking about you know, what income, you'll find out from somebody how good they are with managing money, right? That if you believe that they're in an entry-level job role and they're going out holidaying every single year, right, multiple times, they're wearing, you know, designer clothing, they look the part and everything is um, all tickety-boo, but yet you sort of try to reconcile that with, you know, how much money they're earning, there's either two things. Number one, they've got really rich parents or number two, (laughs) They may be using debt as a as a mechanism to um, sustain their lifestyle. So I think a lot of people can pick up a lot of those cues that are very very early on. But I would say the first proper time to have a, the conversation about money is when things start getting you know serious enough where you become an item and you start uh, sharing expenses. Because sharing expenses, like moving into rental property, moving to a shared house, or even um, getting a mortgage, it's the time when things start getting super real and that's where the transparency about each partner situation really needs to come to the forefront so you understand where everything is at and understand how you, how you can work together as a couple to you know achieve not only now your singular financial goals but now goals together as a couple. So in short place, there's no right time but if you can do it sooner or later, it basically prepares each partner about how they're going to enter into that relationship with the full Understanding about each other's financial situation.
0: So, when you say full understanding about each other's financial situation, what is it exactly that you sort of want to know to have that holistic understanding of where they stand?
1: Well, I think if you. If you are considering, say, getting a home loan, obviously income needs to be one of those things that you know people people discuss. So it, it could be an awkward conversation to have very early on, but you know when you go and start making an application for you know a home loan, all this stuff is going to come out when you make that joint application. Think about your regular expenses. So what are some expenses that you guys are? Uh, are paying for. So obviously, you know, there's no point making Netflix rich or um, Stan rich or any type of subscription service. You can probably co share those as a, as a couple and share an account. So those things typically come out uh, in terms of what your regular expenses are. Um, and then assets, right? Uh, if you've already got a house or you've already got a car, um, do you own that outright? Do you have debt on that? Are you repaying that? Is there a loan against it? So understanding what your debt repayments are. And then I think over time as well, it's, um, you know, uh, superannuation and investments. I mean, this one's probably a little bit more touchier. Sometimes people don't want to talk about this, particularly, you know, if they've been on, a, on their own sort of super investment journey and they've got, you know, quite a bit sort of saved up. Maybe it's not something they want to reveal straight away, but over time that ends up becoming uh, something to discuss when you when you're really super comfortable in a relationship and you can start thinking about retirement planning and things like insurances and coverage when you know kids start coming along the way, um, and then. Uh, what we've already touched on, which is debt and loans, like how much debt do you have, how much credit cards do you have, how much personal loans do you have, how are you paying them off? Are you behind on any of those? Right, uncovering some of those, you know, things that uh, potentially your your partner could you know, support you with, either morally or even even financially if you're you know in a bind and and it makes sense. So I would say that try to get everything on the table because the more open and transparent you are, the more likely you are to either. Um, build together on a really strong foundation into the future or address any issues that currently exist in the relationship financially so you can get ahead. And, and, Blaze, actually one thing that I've uncovered, and I'm not sure how you feel about this, I'd love to get your thoughts, is <laughs> what, what you find out in a relationship very, very quickly is who is going to be the relationship CFO, right? Somebody <laughs> is going to put their hand up and go, whoa, 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 whoa. Either you're terrible at spending money or you don't know how to save money, I'm now going to end up uh, not controlling but influencing the decisions that we make financially together. And there's typically one person in the relationship that assumes that role. And it's super interesting. I remember my time in banking just always seeing this really interesting dynamic where um, new couples who are buying their first home would, you know, come and see me for the very first time, deer in headlights And you can see this very awkward conversation happen where who is actually going to speak first and who's going to speak with authority about money. And, uh, it's interesting. It's like this little dance that happens and then somebody (laughs) ends up talking first and then that's it. That's your financial relationship and assignment of who's going to be the CFO for life. I think, I don't know, Blaze, what do you think about that? Have you, have you seen that before?
0: I have not. I've not seen it before. I've not seen the little dance take place, but I can totally understand how it happens. And yeah, I, I see. I suppose in all the examples that I have around me, there's definitely a CFO, and there's usually like my mum. She doesn't listen, thank goodness, because she probably be she'd probably be offended. Um, but yeah, she will often do the old. Snake put a few bags into one shopping bag, bring it in the house, and you know she's she's hiding the extra pair of shoes or whatever she's bought. Well, or, <laughs> or I remember one time specifically when I was younger, she um asked me to we'd we'd arrived home from a day shopping and she'd asked me to bring some shopping. From the car, not through the front door, but down the side of the house, through the laundry door, and hide it in my room until um, until my stepdad had uh, had moved around the house. So, yeah, she was not the CFO. I will tell you that much.
1: Blaze, <laughs> that's absolutely hilarious. I, I remember my, my own mum actually doing that with my dad. So, um, I don't think I don't think there are a lot of the situation, I think plenty of people do that. They hide the things with the partner, and then with the right opportunity. Presents itself. Oh, look what I bought! Um, and <laughs> that's either met with a sigh uh, or, why are you doing that? It's um, uh, it's something that's very, very common.
0: <laughs> I'm glad we're not the only ones. Now, Dan, we did say we would be getting very romantic today, but you just mentioned dead and loans, and I didn't realize we were going to take it that far. So, <laughs> 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 not 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 quite as romantic as I was imagining. Now. You've, so you've done all the assessing, you've figured out your incomes and your super and any debt, et cetera. What happens if you're committing, so say, say you are moving in together, you're making a big step and you understand each other's financial position, what's the next step from there?
1: Well, Blaze, I think the most important thing that uh, when, when a couple does come together and they start talking about their finances really openly, the budgeting conversation really comes up and it's uh, it might not sound the most romantic thing at all, but it can clear a lot of financial hassles that they will have in the future about, okay, how much money are we going to commit to spend? How many how much money are we going to save? And then what, where is all the money going? Uh, how much money are we spending on bills, rent, you know, bonds, groceries, transport, et cetera? All those really banal conversations tend to take place where you sort of understand where uh, where things are at. I, I just remember when, uh, when, when, me and, when me and my wife uh, got together, not my wife obviously at the time, I just recall going through this really painful exercise of pulling out an Excel spreadsheet and just asking all these really <laughs> boring questions about where everything was at <laughs> and then I could tell her squirming at responding at some of them because she knew I wouldn't be satisfied with some of the responses. But at the end of it <laughs> we actually had it was great because we got everything out, we knew where we were, but it, it more importantly allowed us to uncover what we we're spending our money on, get rid of any unnecessary things that we were paying jointly. But and really, more importantly, it allowed us to plan for the future. It allowed us to understand, right, how much money do we earn? What are our expenses? How much money can we put away and save? And how to contribute to some of the goals. We had a, a goal to buy a home three, three years ago, uh, which, we, which we achieved. And we only achieved that by understanding each other's own financial position, how much we're we going to bring to make our housing deposit, how much we need to need saving to saving um, to, to, to buy the home. And that allowed us to achieve our our financial goals way quicker than we realized and sort of deferring that conversation well into the, into the future. So for all those lovebirds out there who are sort of considering and, you know, hearing really romantic chants in the background, I'm sorry to say that maybe the budgeting is the most sexiest things of it, of it all in the relationship. But what is sexy is when you've got your shit together and you really understand between you and your partner on how you're going to get ahead and navigate this relationship together financially and feeling comfortable and safe throughout that whole process. So, you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to wake up every single morning thinking, you oh my goodness, where are we at in terms of our finances? Has my partner overspent X or Y dollars too much on certain things? Those become a non-issue and you develop a groove and a rhythm on how you conduct your financial lives. Hey, and by the way, it's not all perfect. Having a plan uh, is obviously a good place to start, but there is going to be things... Like the good Mike Tyson has told us, everyone's going to plan until they get punched in the face. And I'll tell you what, I get punched in the face. Everyone I know gets punched in the face. Uh, stuff happens in life where you need to get it sorted. And by having that open dialogue with your partner allows you to address those problems much more easier. The dryer's is going to break down. The fridge motor is going to blow. Your car is going to blow up on the freeway like my wife's car did. When we first started dating, oh. those things happen, <laughs> and uh, I, th- I think the more open you are about the situation, the more likely you can get help. If you hide it, uh, that's only going to bubble up at, at a much later date, and your partner may not appreciate, you know, the the sense of you withholding that information, uh, which is not really healthy for for a relationship. So that's that's my thoughts, Blaz.
0: Dan, so you've done you've say so, okay, you've had to talk about money. You've assessed. You've assessed your money. You've made a budget. Yes, you talked. You mentioned goals. Um, are you? Do we? When you say goals, do you mean financial goals? Like you, you mentioned that you and your partner bought a house. What other kind of goals? Like I'm assuming it would be things like if you or one of you or both of you wanted to start a business together, or what other goals would you need to consider when it comes in in, in terms of your finances? And is it just joint goals or do personal goals play into that as well when you're planning?
1: Yeah, I think, I think you have uh, both, uh, blows. I think you have your own personal goals and also your, your goals as a couple together. I mean, uh, obviously the, the most obvious one for a lot of people is that if you are in a union together and you've been dating and for a while and you're thinking about marriage, obviously that's a really big uh, sort of event for, for most people uh, as they join together and, and have a day to celebrate it. Obviously a very expensive exercise and that's where a lot of that is. there's financial planning sort of comes along. Um, kids, obviously, if you're thinking about planning to have kids in the future, is can we afford it? Where is it going to be on our radar? Do we have the are we at the right sort of stage in our career to do it? Uh, so th- there's those type of goals, and I think of the individual level, absolutely, <clears throat> you know, you can't do everything together. You can't be in everyone's pocket all the time, uh doing things. You have to have some sovereignty over your over your money as well. So the way I've seen, uh, I don't personally do this, but. The way I've seen other couples do it is that they have their own personal kiddies or what they call um, play money where each partner sets aside um, money for themselves to pursue their own hobbies, um, to save for their own individual things they want to buy, which uh, I think is really cool because it actually uh, helps you on your joint goals cover all, all that stuff together first. But then also I think, you know what? I'm going to have completely different passions about things that I want to really be involved in and that may not involve my partner. So I'm going to save some money towards some of those things or contribute to, you know, causes or anything that might be of a personal interest of mine uh, that may, may not be with my partner together. So they're the types of goals that I think a lot of people start thinking about when, um, you know, navigating relationships and money and, and thinking about the future. Then it's obviously going to be a bit later on down the track, you know, retirement planning. How long are we prepared to work? When do we think we're going to retire by? And do we think that we've got enough in our current trajectory of our superannuation savings or our own um, say, uh, deposit accounts that could help us achieve um, you know, a good, comfortable retirement uh, together? And so I think, I think there's some of the things that a lot of people you know, think about when they when they get together with somebody else and, and start planning for the future and having joint and individual goals.
0: I like the idea of having your own personal kitties, and I'm sure that there's lots of different ways to split money. What are the different ways that you can share money or share expenses, decide who's paying for what? What are different ways that you can do
1: it? Well, Blaze, one of the uh, probably the most equitable methods is the 50-50 method where you literally just split your expenses down the middle. Say, for example, you've got a $2,000 monthly mortgage, you may want to contribute thousand dollars each towards that mortgage which is fairly fairly straightforward uh it works well if you're on similar incomes the other methods are proportional to income so if one of you earns significantly more you could split your expenses to reflect that for example if one party earns seventy thousand dollars and the other one earns thirty thousand dollars you might want to split your bills by either uh seventy percent of the part that's earning more and thirty percent of the partner that is working that has a lower income If you have an arrangement where one of you stays at home and manages your property or cooks meal or manages the house, perhaps they pay less or nothing as they are making contributions to the household, which is fairly, fairly common, particularly if you are in the child-rearing years the other concept is having a joint bank account where you uh, each agree to put money into this account, and you um, use this account for all your shared costs. So it's like um, you have your own bank accounts, and then you have one account which is your joint account where you contribute towards that every single week, multiple automatically, where it takes into account your other expenses like rent and mortgages, etc. Which is another another method that you can also use.
0: Those methods of sharing, um, of splitting expenses and splitting budgeting, is really interesting, but. What I wonder if there's couples out there that are making decisions on how they split their expenses or split their finances considering things like the gender pay gap or the racial pay gap, which we know is very real because, you know, the dollar of a woman or a person of colour doesn't usually go as far as the dollar of a cis white male. So a, a, cis, being, a cis man being someone who... Um, identifies with the gender that they're assigned at birth. So yeah, it would just be interesting to see if there are couples out there that take that into consideration because, you know, typically people of colour and women also have not only earned less, but also have less opportunities in the workplace. So yeah, it would be really cool to to see if people do take that into their consideration and if there are couples out there or partnerships out there that that reflect this when it comes to
1: their finances very very important ways, and that's uh, one area that I think a lot of people don't consider which I think is awesome to highlight
0: now Dan what about getting into debt together you've got probably gotten into bed together what about getting into debt together
1: <laughs> what, are,
0: what are the things to consider
1: some people do wait until the day plays um, <laughs> um, <laughs> well you know most relationships start at will but the reality is is that sometimes kind of relationships uh, can also Uh, end and when you consider debt in that equation it's really really important because uh, if a relationship does end say for example you have to consider a lot of things like uh, being on joint loans with an individual and you know paying out another partner for say a home loan which is you know much actually much more prevalent than people think a lot of a lot of a lot of times when you go into the bank you know they're pretty unsurprised when you sort of go up to the to the bank matter and say, well, look, unfortunately I've had to go through a, a separation and I'm looking to pay my other partner, more often than not, they're not going to bat an eyelid because this is reality for a lot of Australians who get into the situation where they are going through a separation, which basically means that you have to really consider when you get into a relationship on the shared responsibility of repaying debt and the situation where everything is going swimmingly well, you know, you love your partner and you can imagine living the next 1,000 years with them Probably, you know, not not so much uh, of an issue. But if you are in a situation where, you know, things do derail and you get in a situation where you need to, uh, you know, consider the separation of assets, debt can be a very, very tricky topic. And it raises the questions of things like who's responsible for paying the debt, who is actually going to pay the debt in the event of a separation. There is going to be uh, situations like a mortgage where they have this really technical term. Called equally and severably liable, which basically means if you get a home loan with somebody else, that you're actually both responsible for paying off the mortgage. If one person decides to stop paying the mortgage, there actually isn't any contractual uh, understanding where you can just say, hey, you can say to your partner, hey, you paid the mortgage off because we're off. You're actually responsible for that debt in the equal portion as your partner, which can actually have an effect on your credit rating which could impact your life post-relationship. So that's something that a lot of people don't really think about when they're getting in the situation. And of course, there's very obvious reasons. Sometimes a relationship breakdown can be traumatic. It can be, uh, it can take a huge emotional toll on your life and you may not be thinking about these things. But I think it's a really interesting thing to keep in the back of your mind uh, as you go through this process because it doesn't matter how difficult life can get, sometimes your financial obligations will follow you and could affect your future well-being. I would really uh, strongly suggest that people want to learn more about this, or if they're in a situation where they do need to find assistance and help, there is help out there. What are some sources that people can turn to in the event where, you know, maybe sometimes financial uh, cancelling uh, or financial help for couples that are trying to mend their relationship or, or potentially go through a separation? Where, where can people um, go to?
0: Well, I had a little scour, and there's actually quite a few places that you can go to if you need help financially or if if you need relationship help so there's relationships australia which there's one in every state and territory which is great um, there's family relationships online so you can just give that a google that there's also if you're struggling with debt you can call the national debt helpline which is 1800 007 007 and then also a, there's the small business support line so if you're in a small business that's struggling or you're you need some help financially Um, you can call those. There's lots of government services and a lot of them are free. So um, it it sort of reminds me of when we had Sarav Dutta from Curtin University come and talk to us about the debt traps. Um, He mentioned that often people that are in debt go to someone to help with their debt and then get into more debt because that person charges a ridiculous fee. So there is a lot of free support out there. And if you are struggling and you do need help, definitely any of those four that I just mentioned, um, I'll put them in the show notes as well. So you can easily find them and easily access them and and get the support you need. Dan, final thoughts on money and relationships. (laughs) What are the main takeaways from this?
1: So I think the main takeaways are is be honest. I think the more honesty you can reach the relationship, the more freedom you'll unlock for yourself. I think that is the most liberating thing where you can actually understand if you have issues, be upfront. You're more likely to not receive scorn and potential sideways looks. You're probably going to uh, receive a loving embrace from your partner that actually wants to help you through that situation. That's what a lot of people think that that's, uh, that's not the case, but uh, oftentimes it, it is. be understanding personal finance is unique to everyone and some people find it difficult to talk about money and it's completely fine if you're that person it's completely and utterly normal but like with all good things good understanding comes from taking that baby step so take baby steps as you go through your journey to uncover your financial journey with your partner and remember things change your budget and everything you agree upon doesn't have to be set in stone it can change when your circumstances change or if you feel like something is not working for you. And lastly, the most important thing is you have to have the conversation. Like our good mate, Scott Pape, who (laughs) uh, one of his first recommendations is to have a date with your money and with your partner. And that's the best thing to do is have that open, honest conversation and dialogue with your partner. And hey, you really want to establish, am I going to pick up another job on the side that's not paying me money by becoming the CFO of the household? You want to find out pretty quickly (laughs) on who's got the skills to to manage that moving forward.
0: Uh, Yes, Mr. Pape and his Beth interest dates. I remember that from the book and from our discussion with his budget. Now, I thought I would jump in as the single person on the podcast. So if you've been listening going, (laughs) oh, great. This is all very useful, except I'm not dating anyone. Or I've got no one to discuss finances with. I thought I would jump in with some apps There's because there's, there's so many apps out there that can really, really help you. So there's a bunch of apps that I really like for splitting money and they can be used either in relationships or when you're going out for dinner or when you're collecting money for a friend's birthday. So you don't have to be in a relationship to use these apps or get their benefit. Um, they're just really good for tracking expenses and, and splitting costs. So... There's obviously Splitwise, um, Splitter, which is they're they're all very similar, aren't they? Split it, Splitwise, and Splitter. <laughs> There's also Beam it. These are obviously all in Australia. And then one of my favourites that is um, is by Splitwise is called Plates by Splitwise. So that one is for group dinners, which is awesome because if you go out for a large dinner, you can um, it helps you to to split the bill and you can do it evenly or you can do it by meal you can do it by whoever had the most cocktails like there's lots of easy ways to split so um they're just a couple of tools you can use if you're wanting to to split money keep track of it or or share expenses with your friends or partner or partners The We Talk Sense podcast is sponsored and produced by WeMoney. Now, WeMoney is a financial wellness app and we would love for you to try it. And we're actually super excited because last week on the Today Show, Effie Zahos mentioned us as one of the best new budgeting apps in Australia, which is obviously really, really exciting for us. And we would love for you to have a crack at the WeMoney app.
1: If you'd like to try it, please use the referral code PODCAST and you'll get $5 when you sign up. And plus, we'll plant a tree to celebrate. $5
0: and a tree. It's all good things, Dan.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. So before we get into today's episode, I wanted to let people know that some of the contents in today's session with Amanda Kassar may be confronting to some listeners. I want people to know that uh, what we try and do at the start is go through some of the core issues around the topic of financial abuse, which again can be confronting, but more importantly, uh, is to look at the, for the warning signs on how you might uh, be able to recognise the situation if you are a victim of financial abuse and, more importantly, some pathways in which you can then get some help and support from. So if you're listening and if you do feel like the conversation is a little bit confronting, um, recognise that towards the end of the session we go into some areas where you can get help and support if you are affected.
0: So, Dan... Now that we've taken a look at money and relationships and what to do when you're kicking things off and starting out, I thought we could take a look at what happens if things aren't quite as rosy as they seem. What do you reckon?
1: As Valentine's Day has passed, I just remember a time when I was going out with a girl and I remember having $14 in my bank account come Valentine's Day. And uh, (laughs) some of the, I, I took her out for an ice cream and I told her the fact that I had $14 in my account and she, uh, felt really sorry for me, actually, but also it was very endearing sort of comment. But um, I think uh, as relationships progress and things become a little bit more serious, uh, the topic of money uh, becomes something that is the front and center of a lot of relationships. There are good times and there are bad times. I think I'm very excited about today's conversation to explore some of the situations where um, it doesn't go well and how people can get help and support uh, to get back on track.
0: Yeah, great. Dan, if I was that lucky woman, I would have been very happy because, you know what, $14 is 28 soft serve ice creams at our (laughs) local local Maccas, so I would, as an ice cream addict, I would be very happy. (laughs) Now, joining us today to discuss the topic of financial abuse is an incredibly knowledgeable woman who has over 30 years of experience in the financial sector. She's shared her seemingly infinite wisdom about personal finance on many platforms, including CEO Magazine on Channel 9 News and in Money and Life, to name a few. She was a finalist in the 2020 Women in Finance Awards for Entrepreneur of the Year in 2020. And to be fair, she's been nominated for so many awards that if I listed them all in this podcast, we'd have to create a whole other episode for her. (laughs) She loves travelling and wine, so I think we'll get along pretty well. And she donates some of her time to teach financial literacy at local high schools, a topic that you'd know Dan and I are very passionate about if you've tuned into the podcast before. Joining us now via video link from the Gold Coast in the beautiful Sunshine State of Queensland is Amanda Kessa, the director of Wealth Planning Partners. Welcome, Amanda.
2: Thank you so much for having me. What a great intro! I'll, I'll pay you. Put you on paper. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I can get that one printed and laminated and yeah, sent out to sure. you if you like, on, Amanda. That yeah. <laughs> <I> sounds great. <laughs> it's like the it's like wrestlers. They have. Um, they have their, it, like their walk-in tunes. You can just, or I can, we can put that on record and you can play it every time you walk into a room. <laughs> Perfect.
2: <laughs> a little bit of Katy Perry, hear Me Roar" or something behind.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Sounds awesome. Now, Amanda, you're a financial advisor. What exactly, you know, we've, we've thrown the term around on the podcast before and to be honest, I'm not 100% sure exactly what a financial advisor does. What is it and is it the same as the, a financial counsellor? How is it different?
2: Sure. So a financial advisor is usually a professional who has quite possibly a university degree who helps people get their money into order. They can do anything from help you put a risk management strategy in place through insurances, business risk mitigation, help you get all your superannuation together, work out what strategies you should take to get on track for retirement, they can help you with self-managed super funds, investments, shares, and depending on the advisor, some may do all or just some of these things and specialize in certain areas. Usually, you pay a fee for service to see a financial advisor. You may pay an ongoing retainer to have them look at your finances each year, or alternately, you may just pay for ad hoc advice and say, look, you know, I need to pick your brains. This is my situation. Where do I go from here? So it depends completely on, on what you require from the advisor.
0: Okay. Awesome. At the start of this podcast, we discussed how to start talking about money in your relationships and the importance of talking about money. But now we would like to take a look at the other side of things. So maybe when things in the relationship start to break down or in, you know, I I would like to explore the topic of financial abuse, which is an area that you've worked in quite a bit. So what exactly is financial abuse and how common is it?
2: Uh, Unfortunately, more common than we'd like to think. So financial abuse is usually where an intimate partner has control over the other partner's access to economic resources, which then diminishes their capacity to support themselves and makes them depend on the perpetrator financially. So just like any form of abuse, it can be a standalone form of abuse, or it may go hand in hand with other forms like domestic violence, and a study in the US actually confirmed that 99 percent of all domestic violence cases also feature financial abuse.
1: It's pretty, it's pretty harrowing. Um, uh, you know, part of uh, people's lives that not too many people talk about, uh, Amanda. And it's quite a taboo topic. Do you think recently this has come to the forefront? Because I think the the terms of the financial abuse is not something that you know we've traditionally sort of heard about before. Can you just talk to us about the evolution and how does this sort of come to the forefront of um, open discussion, and, and maybe where where you think this um, conversation is going to, and, and how people can um, learn more about it?
2: Sure. Look, I think the Me Too movement look whether you love it or hate it, think it's gone too far or not far enough is very much a catalyst for people finally feeling a lot more comfortable to talk about situations that in the past were taboo or they're left in the family or you don't get involved in other people's lives. So, you know, these strong, mostly women who've come forward and are, you know, I suppose trailblazers in going, look, we need to normalise these conversations. We need to start saying something. And it's when high-profile cases start coming out that then the conversations happen. So in Australia, you know, we didn't have a Harvey Weinstein, but we did have the case in Queensland, one of the most famous murder cases we had, I think you might recognise the name, Alison Baden Clay, where her husband murdered her, wrapped her in carpet, dumped her by the river and then you know joined in the search. They had teenage girls and it turned out that her family said years later that domestic violence was part of her life and also severe financial abuse. So they even started a campaign running for quite some time with the hashtag Say Something. They felt that, you know, it was Alison's family, Alison's life. It was none of their business. You know, they'd watch him take credit cards off her. They'd watch her wear shoes that were worn out and she wouldn't, you know, she'd only have a set amount for groceries and just felt it wasn't their place. And many people also feel that. You witness things that are a bit uncomfortable. You know, you might have had the girlfriend who was the party girl and all of a sudden she's not coming out to drinks anymore or she's got to go home early or the boyfriend's texting her a thousand times while you're out or you know she's wearing the same outfit she's had on for the last five years so there can be little signs that we sort of think oh that's a bit weird but brush it off and don't do anything about it so often I think we really need to start relying a whole lot more on our gut and our intuition and our observation to actually say look Things don't seem right with you or things have changed. Um, what's going on?
0: Amanda, I had no idea how serious and 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 how deep a level of control that controlling someone's finances would be. Earlier in the podcast, Dan mentioned that, you know, in a relationship there's there's usually a, someone that takes the role of CFO and they're usually in most relationships someone will sort of take control of the finances, but this sounds like it's really the kind of situation where it's someone taking it way too far and too much control and limiting the other partner's freedoms and abilities to do things. Is is financial abuse, uh, is it illegal? Is it recognised as such? And what are the red flags? Like what are the other things that you should be looking out for?
2: Sure. So is it illegal? Yes and no. If if it goes to the state of fraud, yes, you can go to the police for fraud. Uh, Elder abuse, depending on the state you live in, can be a crime if it's against elderly people. Coercive control is something that's currently being reviewed as a law and whether that will then be outlawed, how they will then uh, monitor what they believe, how you have to prove coercive control, I, I don't know. But the flags of what it actually looks like, we're talking about things like where you limit your partner's employment or forbid certain types of career choices. So uh, in some families that may be, look, you're only allowed to work in the, the corner store. I had a, a very interesting case where a very uh, multi-award winning journalist, been in the media for many, many years, had a controlling partner who eventually told her, stop playing around with the media, get a job stack, mm. you're not to be involved in this anymore. So very blunt in what you are and aren't allowed to do, so that kind of control they may forbid study or career advancement You're not allowed to better yourself they may withhold funds or give a meager allowance. I know Dan spoke earlier about where one partner stays home to raise the family and how you discuss you know finances at that stage so you know you may be given a pittance that you need to do all the weekly groceries on. Some even then do checking where you have to hand over the receipt and account for every single cent that you spend. So extreme monitoring of your purchases, severely restricting spending. There's actually even a phenomenon now called period poverty, where a partner may not allow the purchase of sanitary items for women so that they are forced to stay at home. During menstruation, this is severe in uh, domestic violence cases and women going to shelters, and has even caused uh, some charities now to have to supply sanitary items for women. So, this this isn't something just like you know you've only got a hundred bucks for groceries to for, for four people, or you know you're not allowed to go out to dinner on Friday night. This is controlling every single part of your life. It could be money and assets being hidden. You're not allowed to have your own bank accounts. It can be even running up debts or for, forging your signature on on loan documents. So it can take many, many, many forms.
1: Wow, that is that, that is pretty pretty intense, um, Amanda. And I think it just it goes to the depth and breadth of um, some of the things that have been swept under the carpet of society that have been bubbling up to the surface. And it seems like, from what you mentioned there, like you know, any sort of normal person in a relationship would sort of see this as a potentially negative event, but. Um, Amanda, I think, correct me if I'm wrong here, but does this sort of happen over time, like when when people get together with relationships, does it start sort of incrementally, and then maybe um, you talked about some of the warning signs? Maybe for those people who are listening at the moment, that might relate to some of these stories. I mean, what are some of the the first sort of initial warning signs that people often experience? Because I can imagine that um, in in the relationship, there's that tug and pull between some really bad things, but also the hope that it might also improve um, which is also never an excuse but maybe what are some of the early signs that people can look out for before they see this unraveling to a really unhealthy position
2: well one of the the main things and i'm going to generalize here because for the most part women are the victims of abuse by men often they are the breadwinner we know about the pay gap and often they are the ones who also provide care either to their children or elderly parents so they when i generalize please don't offended because it can happen both ways, but as a general fact, it's usually that way. So one woman told me for her, it was like the frog in the pot. There wasn't just one moment where she went, Oh my god, I'm being controlled. It was just this slow slide over time where also where things would crop up and she'd go, Oh, that's that's not right, or that's a bit weird, or maybe that's how they do it in their family. And she'd constantly let these things go. And then you finally look so far down the track and go, How on earth did I let it get to this state? How did I get here? So you look, nobody's gonna go out on a first date with someone who's right hand over your money. You know, <laughs> no one's gonna marry the arsehole. <laughs> <But>, you know, <laughs> these are charismatic people who, you know, groom people like a predator. Um, so it does happen over a long time. There can be narcissistic tendencies, there can be familial um, or ethnic, even um, reasons where you know the man is the head of the house, the woman is the more subservient in the relationship. So there can be so many contributing factors that it's there's no just one. Look, this is exactly what it looks like, and this is how you end up in the in the situation you're
0: in. So it's it's very nuanced. I'm Amanda. I'm I'm stealing shock. This is, is so face. serious. <laughs> I, I know it's the podcast, but I see your
2: face, and you, you just look like you've been people. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's how I feel, my oh my right gosh! I yeah, feel- it's
1: really it's really confronting. It's um, but I think through the pain, by I'm not sure if you agree that um, the sometimes to get help and support, you really need to go through the difficult conversations because that allows you to come out the other side. And if you don't have these conversations, it it, it, it may not inspire somebody to maybe look at their own situation. So I, whilst feeling uncomfortable, I also think it's very important to to talk about it.
2: And those conversations you said at the early start of the relationship are so important because often we don't even question ourselves, what are my own beliefs about money? So, you know, we could be raised by a family who, you know, I've I've written a book and I ask people, what did your parents teach you about money? And the answer was overwhelmingly nothing. So... There's also the unspoken lessons, you know, the things you always heard was like money doesn't grow on trees or it takes money to make money. And one lady said her parents told her that only bad people get ahead in life because they're prepared to do the wrong thing. So we have to examine and pull apart all these things that we've heard all our lives and query what we really believe about money because sometimes when you say them out loud, you're like, actually, that's really dumb and doesn't make sense and I don't believe that or, you know, generationally as well my parents were baby boomers raised by post-war or depression-era parents so it was very much a scarcity mindset everything had to last you always used leftovers you did the composting everything got mended and today you know my children are gen uh, Y and Z they've they've never lived through world wars they've Never had a lack of anything. There's a new pair of shoes whenever they need it. If a backpack's busted, you throw it in the bin, you buy another one. So we're talking about generational changes of, you know, where people have had to live through absolute scarcity and poverty right through to there's so much abundance today that the old beggars can't be choosers. Well, they bloody can now. You know, (laughs) Mm. there's charity places where people are going, I'm not accepting that. (laughs) So it's it's such a different world. And we really need to think, you know, do I have a scarcity mindset? Do I believe that, you know, money's this limited thing and there's never enough and whatever I do, I'll never have enough. Or do I believe it's this energy that ebbs and flows and there's always more to be made or I can go out there and do it. So understanding what we feel first is really, really important because if we don't know what we think about money, it's very hard to go into a relationship and go, well, this is what I expect from you. You know That person's probably never examined what they think about money either and it's too late when you come home and go, that's it, hi, honey, I'm pregnant, I'm never working again, I'm going to stay home and play mummy and raise the babies. And he's like, well, I thought you'd go back to work in six months. We can't afford this mortgage on one income. So those conversations are just so important to have because it also means we're setting our own personal boundaries. So when you talked about, you know, is it a 50-50 split? Is it a 70-30 split? Is it I'll do the family, you're the breadwinner? Whatever those conversations are, they need to be held fairly early. And like you said, Dan, too, you do pick up on um, things on those early dates, who's paying for what, you know, is he going to ask you for 20 bucks for half the pizza for the rest of your life? And is that okay or not? <laughs> I mean, it might be nothing now, but it might be, You know, when it's half the house that you owe, (laughs) Mm. it could be a very different conversation. So it does snowball, and that's where that, you know, the frog in the pot and looking back, it makes it difficult. So examining what we think is is important because
0: it's not something we're ever asked. What's your view on money? What do you think about it? Amanda, I'm so glad you mentioned that because that is something we often talk about, what you learned from your parents in regards to money, but I never thought that, of course, generationally our experience is so different like you said your your parents were raised by parents in the post-war depression era it's completely different to now where we're so driven by consumption and where everything is so accessible and we're just motivated to keep purchasing and keep buying and going out and spending like of of course what our parents teach us between generations will have to change and alter which is why it's so important that we keep learning as well so yeah, I'm, re- I'm really glad you brought that up. And also sharing the pizza, half of, paying for half a pizza. A house is a much larger slice of pizza. <laughs> so, <laughs> very good question to figure out. When it, when it comes to setting boundaries, what are, is there anything else you can do other than communication to prevent or safeguard from um, things like financial abuse from happening?
2: One of my top tips for that is to never completely give up your financial independence. If you have the double income, I think maintaining personal bank accounts is important. Like Dan said, you know, you might have hobbies that are completely outside. My husband's got a Harley Davidson, he's got money for that. I like to travel, I like wide, so I've got my own play money for that. But, you know, we have this joint account where, you know, if he pays for the mortgage and I pay for the utilities and the food, all this money, you know, goes into a pot that, that we share that works for our family but we haven't given up our personal independence either. And look, when were we were younger, we did. We just pulled everything and it just all came out of this one pot. And we separated for a little while. And I said to him, look, I think you need to run off and get your own stuff. I need my own stuff. And just, you know, it, we've been married 27 years now. Everything's great. But it was just that resetting because we were sort of 18 when we got together and things just evolved. We never talked about it. It's just, this is how we do it. I think that's how our parents do it. So, It wasn't until we were confronted with the what if, you know, two kids and a mortgage down the track that you go, wait a second, how how could this work better that we still have our own independence? And then there is that, you know, if we do need to split, it's a situation where hopefully we've looked after ourselves enough that, you know, we're not living off charity or The lady I mentioned at the start, the journalist, she had to sneak $20 a week off her grocery money to buy Woolies cards that she would store at a girlfriend's house so that when she finally left, she could afford groceries for two or three months for herself and her daughter while she couch surfed and set up her Centrelink account before she could get back on her feet. So I don't want anybody to be in a situation where they can't even afford food for their babies because of Mm -hmm. where they've ended up. So it's very, very important to maintain your independence but also have that agreed communal pot where you're working towards your family goals and
0: covering your expenses. If, If someone's in this situation or they think they might be in this situation or they're seeing the red flags or the signs in a friend's relationship or a family member's relationship, what can they do? How can they get help? Is there, is there a way out? The Women I've spoken
2: to who've been down this path have said it's very important to have either a trusted friend or colleague that they're able to confide in because they may not be able to, in their domestic situation, start looking up a search for a shelter because the partner may check their internet browsing history. So they may need external help to say, look, where do I go? What do I do? Uh, you've mentioned Relationships Australia. They can help. They may need to find out, is there a local shelter where they can run to? There is financial counselling Australia that offer free services to those who need it. In Victoria, there's a fabulous organisation called WIRE, W-I-R-E. So there are organisations out there. If it's happening to elder people, there's an elder abuse hotline. If, you know, gramps or grandpas getting ripped off by one of the aunties or uncles. So there's many, many services. There are hotlines as well you can look up. But I think having the open and honest conversation, if you're recognizing it amongst a family friend or member, um, one of a beautiful way I um, heard a psychologist use is the formula I feel when, because. So I feel sad, hurt, angry, upset, whatever that feeling is, when, so it could be when I see your old shoes the old outfit that you can't come out with us anymore that you look really stressed these days whatever the when is because it didn't used to be like that we always used to have so much fun whatever it is so what you're doing is saying you're discussing your own feelings you're not going oh my god this guy's obviously really bad for you he's taking advantage so you're sort of on the attack and the person may feel quite diminished by that or like oh my god I'm only getting my head around this myself I can't believe I'm in this situation I'm really embarrassed um I don't want to talk to you about it so by discussing your own feelings sometimes that can be a way of even just acknowledging things don't look quite right for you I'm here if you need me so sometimes you might have to play really you know lightly lightly and depending on the friendship I mean you might just come out and say look things have changed this guy's no good for you what's going on it it depends very much on you the relationship and and how it goes so again there's just no cookie cutter approach to make this
1: You know, work, Amanda. I think that's that's all excellent uh, points, and I think it's so important that people get help and support. I'm just wondering, for and particularly at the sort of couple level, have you seen situations where things have actually resolved themselves through that counselling process in terms of um, recognising sort of the parties involved here, and then them actually coming to a point where they they come to their own sort of ground truth and end up coming out the other side. Um, sort of recognizing, you know, a better a better state and a better future by having that discussion. Like, uh, in terms of couples that might be listening right now, that might be experiencing this, is there a way they can maybe go through their own sort of self self healing or or get support uh, from other people to actually go through it together. Or do you, do you think it's often just one sided and and there's no um there's no it often doesn't re- lead to resolution between the two parties. i be I'd be keen to get your views on that.
2: Like any relationship, if both are prepared to, you know, recognise their faults, say, you know, I cocked up as well and move on together, there's always hope. But by the time you usually realise you're in this abusive or controlled relationship, women seem to emotionally leave a, long, a relationship long before they actually walk out of it. So mm-hmm. they can be in their head, you know, a long time coming to terms with it, but by the time that decision's made, they might just be, I'm already on the other side. There are financial advisors who specialise completely in divorced women and getting them through that and one of them was talking to me when I put together a a course designed for financial abuse and she was saying she had a chat with her husband afterwards and he had no idea about how she felt what their situation was with money he goes I I wish she'd spoken to me I wish she'd said I'm uncomfortable with this or how the situation was so he was just clueless that she was so resentful of their situation around money and said he wished he'd had the opportunity to be able to work it out. So, look, there's there's always hope. I'm, I'm the eternal optimist that, you know, if these two people do love each other and want to get through it, there's you know, it's finding the right person to help you. Probably not a financial advisor. It probably will be a counsellor or a psychologist or someone who specialises in that area to be able to, you know, work out what are the underlying issues that led to it in the first place you know was it our original beliefs was it not setting the boundaries what what got us into the situation we are now it's hard to just pick up the pieces when we don't know how we got there
0: it sounds like as in many aspects of our life um, communication healthy open communication at the start can help you prevent from this happening and healthy open communication all throughout you know communication is key and can really prevent or aid in these scenarios Amanda, is there anything um, that we haven't covered that you'd like to, that that you think is important today?
2: Probably just a bit of self-examination. You know, what do we really understand or know about money? Examine our upbringing. You know, did we have that scarcity or abundance in our past? And just unpack what what we personally think. You know, do we believe it takes money to make money? Or all the little nuggets that we've been told in the past and also setting our own boundaries around what we will and won't accept. I think that's very, very important to start with ourselves before we go, you did this, you did that. I, I can't stand you anymore and, and pointing fingers because it, it's very difficult when we haven't laid the groundwork and had those open, honest conversations at the start.
0: Yeah, awesome. Well, Amanda, thank you so much for joining us today on the We Talk Sense podcast. I feel I, I, I've learned a lot today and I, re- I really appreciate you coming in and joining us to talk about what is a pretty heavy topic, but really, really important to to get the information out there. Amanda, if our listeners want to find out more about you or about Wealth Planning Partners, where should they go?
2: I can be found everywhere. I am on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook. I have the Wealth Planning Partners website, Amandacassar.com.au. So, Just Google me. You will find me. Um, Please connect if you've got any other questions. You know, be happy to help out.
0: Thank you so much, Amanda. Thank you for having me.
1: Thanks, Amanda. Thank you for tuning in to We Talk Sense. If you like the show, one thing that will be really awesome for us to hear is from you and your thoughts. What do you think? If you would like us to cover anything on the show, anything that we haven't talked about, something that's really important to you, we would love to hear from you. Please get in touch on our Instagram at GetWeMoney. Follow the page, drop us a DM, or let us know what you think and what you'd like to hear about.
0: Thank you so much for tuning in. We will catch you next time for more Money Chat. Have a good week. See ya. Bye.